Well, well, well. As I so carefully warned you earlier in the telling, all is not as it seems. Indeed, it never is. For strange things have in fact happened yet again. Suffice it to say, you have experienced some disorientation with the unfolding of this tale, much the same as Woody has. But your patience is a virtue, for the truth about Woody's future is about to be revealed to you. Ah, but such revelation will not be easy. This tale will unfold from the perspective of Trumpet Man, the performer, Violetta, Lenny D, Brian, and Woody himself, not to mention someone else you have yet to meet. Each will explain what has happened to Woody from his or her own vantage point. As you might expect, this telling will cause you much discomfort, since you must hear each person's story before you can understand the whole story. And in this case, the whole is definitely greater than the sum of its parts. So prepare yourself for what awaits you might be considered by some to be disturbing. And as always, consider yourself warned, much like the verbal disclaimer intoned on commercial breaks while you're watching movies on cable television. The content of this program may not be appropriate for all viewers and discretion is advised. Violetta in the past. The last thing I clearly remember was the sight of Woody rising from the confines of his physical body on stage. His beautiful aura floated up gently towards the ceiling of the elegant room, drifting as if without concern for worldly matters. Despite my forced attempt at performing lush life to escape my worldly bonds, Woody had somehow managed to focus his energy totally on the music, whereupon he began his much-deserved ascent. But as I sat there, watching him escape the pain I was feeling at that moment, I couldn't help myself. Selfishly, I reached out to him, first with my eyes, then with my hand, hoping against all hope that he could pull me up with him. I knew this was wrong, and I knew it couldn't happen that way, for I had done everything possible on this evening to guarantee that I would be bound to this stage as if with a ball and chain. But I reached out for him anyway, and I saw his eyes desperately meeting my gaze, trying against all odds to help me. That's when I was overwhelmed by a brilliant flash of white light, convinced an explosion had rocked our world. At that moment, I saw Woody catapulted outward at remarkable speed, disappearing from my view in that flash of an instant, and I feared he was lost to me forever. I sat there, so totally desperate on that stage, unable to do anything. Woody was gone, and I was alone once more. I have no memory of anything else. I am told that I would be dead if not for Lenny, I lay here now in this bed, stunned at the ability of this arthritic little man to lift me in his arms and carry me to safety, giving his own life to save mine. This strange little man, my guardian, whom many viewed as a buffoon, was nothing less than a hero, 
saving my life for a second time. Through my tears, I prayed that he would be reunited with my parents, for the three of them shared a love and trust that transcends all else. When I awoke yesterday in this bed, arms and hands heavily bandaged, I wondered selfishly if I would ever play the guitar again. Imagine my life being saved by Lenny sacrificing his and me thinking only about myself. I felt shame on top of pain and fear, having already endured a long rehabilitation in my otherwise short life. My first thought was to give up the battle before it even began. But then I envisioned Woody's eyes holding mine, willing me to never give up hope of recovery and finding each other once again. And how unfair it would have been to Lenny for me to give up so easily. He never did. If nothing else, I owed him my best effort at life. How strange that I would have walled myself off for such a long time, only to fall in love with Woody at first sight. I'll always remember performing Lush Life with him for the first time, when he eased in with that beautiful and soulful tenor sax of his, so gently and compassionately weaving his musical answers around my musical questions. I was overcome with a feeling of warmth I had never experienced before. If you must know, it felt like we were making love right there on that little stage in front of everyone who cared to watch. And when I gave the stage over to him during the second chorus, how he soared above us all like a majestic eagle riding the air currents. At that moment, I knew we were destined to be together forever, or so I thought. I lie here now, wondering where he is, what has happened to him, for no one can recall seeing him escape the fire that claimed Lenny and his treasured Ellicott room that evening. The most I can do now is think of Woody, and try my best to communicate with him at least in thought. Woody, come back to me, please. Lenny D. In the past, Friday night, Violet and Woody were great. When I saw Violetta float up into the light, I just knew where she was headed. I stood, watching her rise above the stage, wishing I could go with her. Years ago, when Violetta's papa asked me to watch over her, if anything ever happened, I was in shock. Nobody never asked me to do something so important before. I gave my word, and I was gonna keep it no matter what. When all hell broke loose Saturday night, the place was burning down around us. And Violetta, she's just sitting on the stage, looking up, reaching for Woody. I saw him floating up, reaching back for her, but it was too late for him to help. So I, I knew I had to be the one to save my little girl from harm. I ran up to the stage as fast as my legs would carry me. I picked her up in my arms and carried her out through the smoke and flames. I never stopped. I never quit. I made a solemn promise and I wouldn't go back on my word. 
just like I never broke my promise to my other sweet little flower. By the time I got us outside, my chest was feeling real tight. Those firemen had to pry Violet out of my arms. I finally let go, I guess, because I was laying there watching them put Violetta on the stretcher and load her onto that ambulance. I knew I was a goner by then. The last thing I remember is seeing my Violetta's face and the face of my other flower right next to her so I could almost touch them both. I just prayed those last few minutes, hoping I'd see both their parents again, wherever they were, because I was on my way there, too. I closed my eyes. And you know what? It didn't hurt. Not even a little. No, it, it felt real warm and peaceful, so I let go. Woody, Woody in the future. Without a conscious thought of time passing, I found myself back on stage, back in the moment, down on my knees gasping for breath, soaking up the thunderous applause from the audience. I slowly got to my feet and dragged my body off stage, where I collapsed onto the floor, barely managing to keep my sacks from crushing damage. Thankfully, the curtains drew to a close, and the show was over. The other musicians came running off the stage towards me, fear in their eyes as they saw me sprawled on the floor, saxophone cradled protectively on my chest. The first to reach me was the bass player, he a bald-headed giant named Armstrong Fingers. Man, Woody, you were way out there this time. With that, Armstrong carried me into the dressing room. As I relented without choice to the deep sleep, something didn't feel right. Indeed, something felt very wrong, just beyond the grasp of my mind as it prepared for shutdown moments from now. If only I could focus. The next thing I remember was waking from a dream, totally unaware of where I was, how I got there, and how long I'd been there. I opened my eyes and felt myself staring into Armstrong's eyes, recognizing a face I had known for at least 25 years, yet unable to call to my mind anything about this man, who was obviously both friend and colleague. Welcome back, Woody. Armstrong, where am I? Where do you think? Like always, you're in my pad, sleeping on my couch. He raised one eyebrow before uttering his next words. You were gone on a long trip this time, Woody. I've never heard you play like you did last night. Straight out of a dream it was. Or a nightmare, I mused. Here I was, a 56-year-old man, yet again strung out from my travels to otherworldly places. Waking on a couch in someone else's apartment, trying to focus on what had just happened to me. I couldn't shake the feeling that nothing fit in this picture, including me. I was a man in the wrong place at the wrong time, unable to touch the reality of the moment. Armstrong had thoughtfully tossed my dirty clothes into a laundry bag, placing it near the door. Woody, I gotta tell you. In the 25 years we've been playing together in this band, 
I've never heard you play like you did last night. It was truly inspirational, my man. If only I could remember it, I answered. But I have no memory of playing even a note. It's kind of a catch-22, you know. You work so hard to achieve the moment, you take off and then, poof, you're off to somewhere else in the flicker of an eyelid. Armstrong broke the uncomfortable silence. Woody, you don't seem like yourself today. I don't know, Armstrong. Something just feels, you know, wrong. Maybe out of place. I can't really explain it, but I feel like I'm somewhere I'm not supposed to be. You are somewhere you're not supposed to be. You're in my apartment after a gig again, instead of being in your own pad with someone far better looking than me. I looked at him intensely, grateful for his years of friendship before answering. Yeah, you're right, big man. Time for me to vanish. With that, I got up to leave. Armstrong reached out one of his big paws to initiate the parting handshake that had become so comfortable for us over the years. Taking his hand, I was reminded how appropriate the name Armstrong Fingers was for this gentle giant of a man. I was lucky to have him as a friend. I left with my sax case in one hand and laundry bag in the other, walking outside to a cold and dismal afternoon, snow covering the ground from last night's downfall. A strange thought of snow warmly glowing in the streetlights brought on an unexpected feeling of deja vu that I couldn't quite put my finger on. The more I reached for it, the farther it receded from my grasp. I started the car, pulled away from the curb, and there it was again. Nothing I could grab onto, just a feeling that I had already experienced this moment. I got back to my apartment and walked in, chastising myself for leaving the kitchen such a mess. And there it was again. This time, it was the rather insane notion that my kitchen had been spotless before I left. I couldn't fathom an explanation for my thoughts. I decided to go out to eat, not eager to spend time alone in the apartment. I pulled up to the Toad Lagoon, one of my favorite places, 